Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. This morning we're continuing in our series titled Saints in Society. What we're looking at is what it looks like to be a saint, which the Greek word there means set apart or holy one. We're looking at what it looks like to be set apart in society. We don't want to look at what it looks like to be set apart from society, set apart distant from society. We want to look at what it looks like for a saint to live in society. We want to be people that meet culture in their terms, not on their terms. I'll say that again. We want to be people that meet culture in their terms, not on their terms, but we want to be in society. And so we're looking at that, what it looks like for saints. That's a title that Paul gives to the, to the Corinthians in Corinth. It's a title that Paul uses some 60 times in the New Testament. It's possibly one of his favorite titles to call Christians. All Christians is saints. Set apart. He loves that title. What we're going to look at today, the main point is this, is the saint's testimony. Last week we looked at saints, not sinners. This week we're actually going to look at the saint's testimony. We'll get into that in just a moment. If you did not, uh, if you were not here last week, then please go back and listen to the intro to First Corinthians. You can get a framework of what we are setting up and and the foundation of the book, which we looked at Paul, we looked at Jesus Christ, we looked at Corinth, and we looked at what a saint is. And so you can you can find that on our website. You can find it on the podcast under Gospel Community Church. So I would encourage you to to, to start there. But we're going to jump in today with verses four through ten. I realize this, that we're off to a really slow start. And so maybe you're like, are we going to finish this thing up in 2026? Because it seems like that's the, the, the time frame of, of how much we're covering. Is We're going to be off to a slow start just like Genesis, really laying the foundation, and then we'll uh, cover a little bit more ground after that. So 1 Corinthians today, saints, the saints' testimony from verses 4 through 9. Let's read. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony, we'll hone in on that today, about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are faithful. We thank You for the testimony of Christ, which I pray is the center and focus of not just today, but everything we do at Gospel Community Church. I pray that it's the center and the focus of our lives. It's the center and the focus of how we live. And it's the center and the focus of the church at large. Father, I pray through your spirit you would speak to us this morning, you would teach us, you would open our hearts to be receptive, to hear. If we've grown numb to your grace, if we've grown numb to the gospel, then we're asking right now that you pierce through our numbness and bring life to our souls, the life that your gospel gives. Remind us, awe us. Let us be blown away by your glory that's held in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do that through your spirit this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm actually going to do this. Since we're focusing on testimonies today, I'm going to share my testimony in two minutes. 
I'll set a timer. Here we go. Here's my testimony. My name is Rick Reeves, and I was actually born in Texas, where I lived for the first 12 years of my life. I'm the youngest of four siblings. I was born to Ron Reeves and to Karen Reeves. My father passed away in 2013. I was raised in a home that understood clearly what discipline was, just not godly discipline. I was raised in a home by a father who was stern, who was old school to the core, and I was raised in a home of verbal and physical abuse. By the age of 14, that abuse had taken a toll on my life, which produced seizures, and that is something that I struggled with for years. My oldest brother, who I have little relationship with, has been in and out of prison twice. My dad was also convicted felon. And so it appeared that the fruit wasn't falling too far from the tree. For whatever reason, by God's grace, when I was 23 years old, 13 years ago, His grace stepped into my life. Something I'll never understand, something I can't make sense of, because the reality is, is that the cross hasn't been at the center of the Reeves' lives for a long time. As Eric Church says, I come from a long line of sinners. And if it weren't by God's grace and through Jesus Christ stepping in, I don't think that would have ended up any different. So, for whatever reason, at the age of 23, Jesus Christ stepped into my life, revealed himself to me, and revealed to me that he's provided the atonement that I need for the life that I've lived. He's provided the forgiveness and grace that I needed for my rebellion against a holy and perfect God. At that time, I was baptized with my mom and from then have been following Jesus ever since, trying to know and understand Him more. That is my testimony in two minutes. Testimonies are something that is thrown out and thrown around a ton in Christian lingo and in Christian circles. I think testimonies are good. And I think testimonies are important to share. I think stories are good. I think the stories God has given us is good. But I hope this morning that what we would be pulled into is ultimately the testimony of Jesus Christ. I believe that's what Paul is doing here, and I believe that's what Scripture does. It doesn't consume us with our own testimony, but actually shows us the testimony of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's dive in. I'm going to move quickly this morning. I know that I'm a, I can be a fast talker. Some of you guys uh, uh, already know that, and so I, I'm going to naturally talk fast and maybe a little faster this morning because we're, we're off to a little bit of a late start, and so I'm going to cover some ground. So hang in there with me. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always. That is a pump the brakes moment. I give thanks to my God always for you. That's, that's, that's one of these things where we need to read that and then slam on our brakes because Paul says, I give thanks to my God continually for you. As a spoiler alert, it helps if you've read the entire book of 1 Corinthians before understanding Paul, what Paul is saying here. Because it's actually quite crazy. He says, I, I continually give thanks uh, to God for you. Do we know anything about Corinth or what they were doing? Would, would, would my first response be to thank God always for someone like this or for the church that's in the shape that they're in? Just here, Here's a spoiler alert. They're quarreling and dividing over who their leader is, Paul, Apollos, or Peter. They're boasting 
as if they're accepted by anything outside of God's grace. They are sexually immoral so much so that Paul says not even pagans act the way that you do in Corinth. They're sexually immoral on many fronts. They seem to have a uh, a skewed view of marriage. They overindulge in their spiritual freedoms and like to exercise that to the detriment of their brothers and sisters in Christ. They boast in their spiritual gifts and are defined by them. They are not loving one another. They are taking communion in an unworthy manner. The men are not acting like men. In short, the saints are not living into who Christ made them. But yet Paul starts off his letter, I give thanks to my God always for you. If I wrote a letter to Corinthians, to the, to the Corinthians, it would probably look different. Dear Corinthians, hell is hot, shape up. <laughs> the fact that he starts off with something like this is a bit mind-blowing to me. How could someone do that? How could someone start with such gratitude? I would say this, is that grace produces gratitude. Is grace produces gratitude. We have to actually understand what grace is, and so let's define it. Grace is a gift that is impossible to earn, work for, or gain by anything that's been done or given by you. A gift that is impossible to earn, work for, or gain by anything done by you or given by you. So Paul says in the rest of the verses, I give thanks to my God always for you because, there is a because, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's not thankful for their behavior. He's thankful because God has given them the same grace that God gave Paul. We looked at Paul's life last week. And we would understand this, that someone who actually understands what God's grace is, is someone who is not critical and is someone who is grateful. A lack of gratefulness is produced because of a lack of awareness of God's grace in your life. A critical speech is because of a lack of understanding of how desperate you are and need grace. Let's look at a quote by Tim Keller and Elise Fitzpatrick that says this. I think it's up on on the screen. As long as we think we are not that bad, the idea of grace will never change us. I wish, Elise Fitzpatrick said, I wish I hated my own sin as much as I hated others. What's going on? How how does Paul start off like this to such a, a messy, broken church as he starts off by first remembering the grace of God that was given to him and remembering this wonderful gift that has been given to them? You see, grace is a beautiful thing, but grace is just an unearned gift. I could give you an unearned gift of a popsicle. That's not that awesome. What God is saying, the unearned gift that I've given you, the gift you cannot work for, the gift that you cannot earn, that you cannot deserve, is the gift of my Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the gift that was given to you. His life, His death, His resurrection. That's where Paul's gratitude comes from. If you are someone who's hypercritical or someone who's not grateful, I would pose this to you. Is it maybe because you've forgotten of how wonderful and amazing God's grace is to you? Are you able to thank God for the gifts that are in your life? Are you able to thank God for others that are broken? And when you pray for other broken people and give thanks for them, does it remind you of how broken you are? You know what blows me away, church? is this, is that sometimes people are like, Jesus, he's messy. And I, and I, my, I just want to be like, duh. 
Duh. Or yeah, it is messy. A better response I could say is how messy? Like Corinth messy? Because it doesn't seem like our Bible goes to, to, to extreme labors to hide the messiness and the brokenness of the early church. I could say it is messy. It is broken. But here's what it is. The church is a group of saints that have been purchased and redeemed by Jesus Christ who are struggling to actually believe that is their core identity. That they are set apart. That they are holy. And so we're wrestling with one another to believe who Christ has made us through the Gospel, by God's grace. But here's the other thing. I would praise God for a messy church. And here's why. Because inside of a messy church is oftentimes a group of people who understand that they need God's grace. It is a people who maybe have the freedom to know that it's okay to be broken. That it's okay to actually be a mess. And I would, it, would, it would honestly scare me if, there wasn't, if the church wasn't a mess to some degree because that also tells me it's messy in this way. That there's not new Christians or non-Christians that are coming to the church. I think, the, I think the, the way church actually gets messier is when we pretend that we're saved by any other means than grace. That's what will make a messy and weird church. Is if there's any other stance that we all came to God than the grace and the gift of God. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Enriched means wealth, which was probably a common word used among the Corinthians, one scholar believes. But what Paul is doing is just taking them into their wealth. Your wealth, look, is in Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. Your wealth is not in anything in this world. Your wealth is in Jesus. That's just simple truth. But why put these two gifts in there? These are gifts that are later talked about in the letter of 1 Corinthians. But why put speech and knowledge? Because these are gifts that they were boasting about. And what actually Paul is saying is that you were enriched, you were made wealthy in Him, in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge. What does he mean by this? Is that in Christ, in Christ, as a saint, that we all have the amount of speech and knowledge that we need to make Christ known. Do other people speak more eloquently? Absolutely. Do other people have a greater knowledge? Absolutely. But in order for you to make Christ known, the appropriate knowledge was given to you of the Gospel which has saved you and your ability to communicate that to others. I hear this more than anything else. I just don't know enough or I'm not that well spoken. Not the credentials that's required for you to proclaim the Gospel. According to Paul, but God's Word is that you were enriched in Christ with all speech and all knowledge. Here's the thing. Gifts in the church have the ability to divide us. What people have, not just spiritual gifts, but what people have as far as belongings go. What people have as far as talents go. What people have as far as uh, just approval and recognition and tenor and anything like that goes causes the church to divide. Because what we start doing, I actually heard this from Juan uh, a couple years ago, is what we do is we look at everyone else's Christmas uh, presents under the Christmas tree instead of the one that God has given us. And then so we find ourselves bitter or jealous or angry about what everyone else has. And so what Paul is trying to do, I believe, in this intro is take us to the one thing we all share in common, Jesus Christ. 
Verse 6. Even as the testimony, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Let's, this is where we're going to camp out for a minute. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. As I said earlier, we are people that get wrapped up in testimonies. We love to share testimonies. We love to share our testimonies. Oftentimes the hero of our testimony is our sin or is ourselves and not actually Jesus Christ. Stories are good. The stories God has given us is good. I do not hate my story. I love the story God has given me. I love it. I'm thankful for the story God has given me. Years ago, I would have never said that. I am thankful. But here's what I'm ultimately thankful for. Not my testimony and being wrapped up in it. I'm thankful for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at what John says in 1 John. You could, you could spend weeks preaching just on this. It's beautiful. It's on the screen. If we receive the testimony of men, when, when, in other words, when two or three come together, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that is, uh, that is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Christ in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar. If you don't believe the testimony of God, if you don't accept it, then you make God a liar. Because it's true. Because He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. Verse 11. And this is the testimony. Love it when the Word of God tells us that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What is the testimony of God? What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? It is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It is His life, His death, and His resurrection. And so we can either be self-consumed by our own testimonies, or we can look at what verse 6 says. Even as the testimony about Christ was established. That's what confirm means. Established among you. What else is going on here? I love this quote by Spurgeon. Let this be to you the mark of true gospel preaching. This, where Christ is everything and the creature is nothing, where it is salvation all of grace through the work of the Holy Spirit applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Brennan Manning says this, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. What is Paul doing? Look at this. Just glance at this for, with me real quick. In 1 Corinthians, we are nine verses deep, and we have him mentioning Jesus ten times. And we have him mentioning in him four times. You can go through this and see that you're either in him, in Christ, four times. What is he doing? More than any other letter that Paul wrote, what does he do? He takes people to Jesus Christ. He takes people to their identity in Him. That is what Paul is doing. You, you have to see this because if you're going to address sin inside of a church, sin inside of people's lives, our tendency is to go to someone and say, stop doing that. Paul does not do that. The Bible does not do that. Look what Paul does. He takes people to the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and the beauty and the glory of what it is to be in Him. As Brennan Manning said, I'll say it again, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Paul is trying to, as much as he can, in the beginning part of this letter, take people to the root identity of who they are in Christ. And here's the thing. 
if you don't call this church your home and you're looking for a church, this would, this would be my honest prayer for you, is that please go to a church that when you walk out the doors is defined not by what you can now do, but is, done by, uh, is defined by the testimony of what Christ has done for you. Verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's saying, if this is true, the, the testimony of Christ is established among you, then you don't lack in any gift. You don't lack in anything. In fact, the, how can you lack in anything if the testimony of Christ is true about you? That is the saint's testimony. That's the best thing about you. You have the best gift. The best gift is God that's made available to you in Jesus Christ. And he also says this, Jesus is coming back. And church, He's not coming back as the Lamb. He's coming back as the conquering, conquered King. The one who has conquered. He's coming back with fire in his eyes and looks like a tattoo down his leg. It says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what he's going to do is make right everything that has been made wrong by sin in this world. And it's going to be beautiful. No more cancer, no more sickness, none of that. Why? Because he's making things the way things were intended to be. Good. Verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? What does he mean here? This. The word guiltless means blameless. And so I would just say it like this. Because said, I'm, 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 moving, I'm moving quick. Let me just step aside real quick. Here, here's, how, here's how I would say this is the same God that saved you is the same God that is saving you and it's the same God that will save you. The same grace that brought you in is the same grace that's keeping you in. It's the same grace that will keep you in. And which means this. If Christ took your guilt and made you blameless that any time you feel guilt, then you're actually feeling something that Scripture would uh, say that is not yours because you are guiltless in Christ. So anytime you feel like you are taking the blame, you are taking something that is not yours because Christ took the blame for you. Anytime you're feeling guilty, you are feeling something that is not true to your new nature as a saint. Because guilt is no longer yours. In fact, blameless is yours. And that's what Paul is saying, that you will be held secure. That's what the word means here. Secure. Until the day of Jesus Christ. And he says this, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The other reading of God is faithful in the Greek is actually faithful is God. And that's what I would say. You can, you can hang your entire life on those three words. Faithful is God. You can hang your entire existence on those three words that faithful is God. You can hang the security of your salvation of being saved by God's grace on those three words. That it's not about the saint's faithfulness. It is about God's faithfulness to hold and secure you guiltless and blameless until the very end. What if we actually held on to what our testimony truly is? the testimony of Christ, the testimony of guiltlessness. Did you know that, that if I shared my true testimony, my testimony would sound like this instead of the one I shared at the beginning. I'll take one minute to share this one. That I lived a perfect life. 
that from the moment I was born, I always obeyed my parents. From the moment I was born, I obeyed all of God's commands and followed all of His rules to the T. From the time I was born, I put other people's needs ahead of my own. I considered others more, more worthy than myself. From the time that I was born, I loved my neighbor perfectly. I put my neighbor's needs ahead of my own. From the time that I was born, my eyes never wandered. I never, uh, uh, I never fell into lust. From the time that I was born, I was never jealous. I never hated anyone. I was never bitter or angry towards someone. I never gossiped. I never slandered. I never talked bad about someone. From the time that I was born, I lived a life in utter and complete purity and perfection before God the Father. That's Jesus Christ's testimony. And Paul would say this, that testimony is now ours in Jesus Christ. His life is now ours in Jesus Christ. As we said last week, the life that Christ lived becomes our life. The crucifixion that He suffered is as though our old self, a sinner, died with Him. Our new self is born, a new creation, a saint. Our testimony, the saint's testimony, is not the life that we live. It's the life that Christ lived on our behalf. In fact, that's true for all of us. All of us in this room who have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ share that testimony in common. And with humility, we could share it and say, what, what is Christ and what belongs to Christ has now been given to me as a gift by God's grace. The saints to that could say something like, amen. Good, nice, all right, perfect. Yeah, good, yeah. It's not something we earn, it's something that's given. Let me close with this. Here's what freaks everyone out. It doesn't freak me out. People say when you preach grace, it's going to make people go hog wild. Here's what I would say. Unless you preach grace, you will never produce anything of any worth in someone's life. Because the only thing that can actually produce true salvation and transformation is the grace of God. But here's what I would also say in, this last, in, in, in these last quotes, also by Spurgeon, is this. Is that the grace that does not change my life is not the grace that will actually save my soul. Which means this. God saves us where we are, but He doesn't leave us where we are. We have a transformative gospel. And I also say what Keller says, nobody who understands the free grace of God takes sin lightly. When we understand as saints what our testimony is, that our testimony is the testimony of Christ lived perfectly on this earth on our behalf, died the death we deserve, risen to give us what we cannot gain ourselves, here's what I would pray, is that more and more that we would understand that that is the testimony that our lives are defined by. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the testimony of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that I pray that we would stand in, that we would live in, and that we would rejoice in. In Jesus' name, Amen.